Cheers. Yes, cheers. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of This or More, where we dive deep into the world of business with real stories from real founders. I'm your host, Tiffany Knapper, and today's episode is guaranteed to leave you feeling inspired and ready to take on the world of entrepreneurship. I'm beyond excited to introduce you to our guest today, Katie Shields, the brilliant mind behind Drink Tipsy, your go-to for delicious, better-for-you canned spritzers and wine cocktails. Born in Charleston, South Carolina, but crafted for adventure everywhere, Katie saw a gap in the market during the chaos of the pandemic and decided to shake things up a bit, literally. So grab your headphones and get ready to hear Katie's incredible journey from idea to entrepreneurial triumph. We're talking about crafting a unique brand in a male-dominated industry, navigating the challenges of startups, building a loyal community, and manifesting success like a true boss. Without further ado, let's raise a glass to entrepreneurship and welcome Katie Shields to the show. Welcome to This or More, a wild entrepreneurial podcast adventure for bold and brave creatives like you. I'm Tiffany Knapper, your host, holistic business coach, corporate music industry dropout, a seasoned five-time multi-six-figure entrepreneur, yoga instructor, and your go-to gal for heart-to-heart coffee chats. On this show, we're not just here to share stories. We're here to ignite a fire within you and make you realize that the reality you envision is just the tip of the iceberg. You're wildly capable of achieving that reality and so much more. So my friends, grab your cup of inspiration, settle in, And let's dive into another inspiring episode of This or More. Uh, Welcome, Katie. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so happy to be here. I'm honored to be here. And thank you for having me on your podcast. Absolutely. So we met, oh gosh, I don't even remember when or how we met. I think we met through a mutual client connection who introduced us. And then you all hosted uh, or sponsored, you know, the uh, podcast launch party last July, I think that was. Yeah, it feels like it was like three months ago. Time flies. Time flies. So I'm so excited to dive a little deeper. Obviously, we've had a chance to hang out a couple of times at different events, and I'm excited to just have this like dedicated time to dive in a little deeper to your story and share that story with those listening because it's a pretty cool COVID story, if you will. <laughs> and um, and yeah, so obviously you are the visionary behind uh, the most Instagrammable, the most delicious sparkling drink, drink uh, sparkling spritzer wine. Um, Autumn Sob. Bottoms up. Cheers. Um, (laughs) Cheers. But let's back it up a little bit and tell me what you were doing before you were the queen of tipsy. Well, what was I not doing? If you look, (laughs) if you look to look at my LinkedIn, which you can find me on LinkedIn, Katie Cosgrove Shields. um, I graduated from Clemson, thought I wanted to go to law school then, you know, really thought hard about the cost and the debt that you incur. And my parents really encouraged me. They were like, go out into the world, you know, make money for a couple of years, figure out what you really want to do and be certain about it. So I went into sales. My first job was not glamorous at all. I was selling toilet paper and uniforms, but, you know, it was a grind. And it really um, helped me develop thick skin and learn that, you know, a no is not a no forever. And that's like really when my sales career 
started and I developed a passion for that uh, space. And eventually I got into medical device sales, worked for Medtronic. I've worked for a company, a startup that was acquired by J&J, parlayed that into healthcare software sales with Oracle. So, you know, I was on the like corporate career trajectory, making great money, loving it, feeling really fulfilled. Um, But, you know, it, it became difficult when I became pregnant with my first child. The travel demands were just absolutely insane. And my husband has a pretty grueling schedule as well. He's in medical device sales. And I looked at him and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to remain like passionate and committed to this Mm -hmm. if I feel like I can't be a good mother at the same time and be really present for, Mm -hmm. you know, really the most precious years. Like you don't get those years back. And um, we now have two children, ages almost five, and then my oldest is seven. Mm -hmm. So during my maternity leave, I developed, well, before maternity leave and my very last corporate job, I developed a concept, um, a non-toxic nail salon. It was actually one of the first in the country um, called Milk Bar. And I was doing great with that knew that I wanted to franchise it or have more um, multiple corporate locations. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was going to be able to do both, at least like for a couple years. Mm -hmm. And I quickly learned, like that was my first brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. You just learn so much with your first business. And especially with the brick and mortar Mm -hmm. and something that's really customer facing and both customer centric and employee centric, which all brick and mortars are, but like a salon and beauty uh, concept is you really get to know people. These people are in there regularly. They really build a connection with the people and the business. So it just was not possible to balance both. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard to walk away from the comfort and like, you know, even like the income and the status of that corporate job. But I knew that in order to serve my customers, serve my employees and the community that we were based in, that I needed to do that. And it all worked out because we franchised, we got acquired in 2020, um, which was a great success. And then that led me to Tipsy. So Okay, so long-winded answer answer to a short question. (laughs) No, it was perfect. We want to hear all of that, and it's so fascinating. I love when I meet fellow entrepreneurs who have a corporate background because that's me as well. I was in corporate for ten years, and so now I've officially been an entrepreneur for longer than I was in corporate. But um, you know, I was thirty-one. I guess I was thirty-one when I started becoming when I started my first business and I was an entrepreneur and I'm so grateful for the lessons I learned in corporate world and especially the things I learned that I never wanted to do or experience again right yeah the good and the bad it's all it's all learning lessons so I I love that story for you that you were in sales okay then you went from non-toxic nail salon which you sold correct congrats kudos thank you 
And then Tipsy, t- take take us through the brainchild moment. Like what, what was happening? Where were you? Paint me the picture. <laughs> it really is a combination of events that had a domino effect. So a lot of spilled boat drinks, I'll put it that way. Um, so it's something I've been thinking about. We're in Charleston, you know, we're on the boat all the time. And I am very holistic and health forward. Like I eat clean. I use, obviously I had a non-toxic beauty concept. I, I, all of my skincare routine is clean. And I started thinking about alcohol and researching like just all the additives that are not even disclosed, much like the cosmetics industry and skincare industry. Um, honestly, it's quite the racket that consumers are getting, you know, more strategic about like reading ingredients and studying labels. And I saw a gap in the marketplace, just like I saw with Milk Bar, which is now called Free Coat, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. And I started researching, you know, the hidden ingredients in alcohol, like what is giving me a headache? What's flaring up? my allergies. Like, what am I doing wrong here? I shouldn't drink two glasses of wine and feel poorly the next day. And so, you know, there's, of course, in the US, we don't have the same rules as other countries. And, um, you know, there's just so like added sulfites, added preservatives, all kinds of food dyes, especially in wine. Um, preservatives and toxins that don't even have to be disclosed. And I take issue with that. I think you should know what you're eating and drinking and where it comes from, even down to like the original source and the origin. And we were making a lot of boat drinks during COVID. Um, Really, this was pre-COVID. My prior business partner and I had talked about this idea Um, and it was just kind of like an idea COVID had, we're on the boat all the time. Everyone was, what else was there to do? Mm -hmm. And my husband was like, this is so over the top. You're bringing organic wine, club soda or mineral water, juices, fresh fruit, like find something in a can. (laughs) We don't have the space for this. And I went about searching for like a wine, but I'd primarily drink wine, tequila, or vodka if I'm drinking alcohol. And I just couldn't find anything. And the stuff I did find that was high quality, it tasted really great, but like, it was like a one drink type deal, like nine grams of sugar, way too sweet, way too syrupy. I knew I wanted something that was like a porch pounder, like a boat soda, like I can kick back and like drink these, you know, all day long. So that's really where the idea came from. Um, My husband, Kirk, came up with the name. We were actually driving over the bridge, over the Rapinel. I do remember this. And he said the name. We had been trying, like we had thought of like a hundred different names. And he was like, what about tipsy spritzers? And we were both like, oh, like, <laughs> I like that happens. Yeah, I know. And he he always reminds me that he thought of the name. So I have to give him credit. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was 
in 2020. We officially launched in 2021. There were a lot of expensive mistakes, which I can talk about because I don't want to see other people make the same mistakes. Okay, we'll dive into that. Um, But yeah, here we are. I can't believe it's 2024. Wow. I know. And you started off with how many flavors did you start off with and how many do you have now? Sure. So we started off with just two flavors, very basic. What what we did was look at the market and look at what people drink in the juice section. Like you see orange juice, grapefruit juice, pomegranate juice, you know, maybe like obviously grape juice and apple juice. And that was really the reasoning behind the flavor profiles. Um, The launch was really like a pilot launch, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, Small order run. There were some mistakes made, like where we had to switch co-packers. You know, when you're doing, especially a canned product, really most of the products you see on the market, whether in the food space, beverage space, they're made by a third party. So with that comes risk comes, you know, learning their processes. And now we have four SKUs and we've made enhancements to every single one. We're always looking to improve, you know, the raw ingredients and nutritional uh, profiles. So we're always a work in progress. I'm a perfectionist. And I think, you know, you don't want to change things too much. And veer from like your core um, focus by, for example, grapefruit, when we added elderflower and mm-hmm. added that botanical, mm-hmm. we saw cells for that flavor almost double. The yeah. growth rate doubled. Yeah. So that was very clear to me that the consumer is looking for more complex and exciting um, ingredient profiles. And what you see in the alcohol pro, um, business off premise, which is like retail chains, like that's what we call off prem. Those trends follow the on prem tra- uh, trends of like what bartenders are making hmm. in restaurants and bars, okay. like what's okay. on the menus. So interesting. Okay. I would have never known that in the beginning, though. No. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, everything's got a journey. I think about that with fashion a lot as well. Like, like we know For something sure. can be on a Parisian runway and then two years later it finds its way to H&M, right? So <laughs> that kind of makes sense. Um, okay. Well, branding is my jam. I have a PR branding background and obviously you all are nailing it. So let's talk a little bit about that as well. Talk to me about what was your experience like? Because this was your first physical product, right? So Building a brand from scratch takes a vision, obviously. It takes a lot of work. What would you say was like your process, maybe your favorite part of the experience, maybe the part that you learned the most? (laughs) Yes. So I, um, you know, with Milk Bar, when I owned my salon, we did have like a couple in-house lotions, sugar scrubs, and Obviously, like what sold well was because of what was in the product. Like the sugar scrub has been rebranded, but it's still the same ingredients as they were when I developed the recipe. Um, Packaging is so important. Packaging is what sells the product. I mean, unless you are, you know, AB and Bev, which is Anheuser-Busch or Coca-Cola, you're not going to have the 
ad spend, the marketing dollars that these big brands do where they, where it's a household name. So your packaging has to stand out. And Mm -hmm. one thing that I noticed, especially with alcohol, and you'll notice this now as well, Mm -hmm. if you don't know this already, when you look at, you know, like let's say truly or white claw, all of the cans look the same and there's just very discrete differences between the different flavor profiles. Yeah. Which, if that works. With my shampoo brand. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I want stuff to look different and pretty. Like we wanted to have packaging that reflected not just like the flavor profile, but also was easy to decipher. Like if you are at a party and you open up a cooler, the worst thing, especially if you've just gotten your nails done, (laughs) is to dig through all that ice to find your favorite flavor. Like you should be able to identify that immediately from the can. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, the can colors are inspired by Rainbow Row. So we all know Charleston's very inspiring Mm -hmm. and uh, that also leaves room for a couple more colors. Just saying. Okay. Um, okay. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah. Spoiler alert. And also I think um, two things really, I wanted the logo to be like big enough and obvious that if somebody took a picture from far away that it was identifiable, like, And it happens all the time. Like people send me a photo and be like, oh my gosh, I saw so-and-so drinking this tipsy or like, is that tipsy? Uh And you can zoom in and you can tell that it is. Yeah. Um, You know, you want your logo to be front and center Mm -hmm. and draw the consumer in. And then so many brands do, you know, their logo um, horizontally. I wanted ours to be vertical so it stood out more. Mm. So a lot of, a lot of thought went into the packaging, like even up to like the color, like this is not a white, it's a cream. So it's not quite as, you know, high contrast on your, yeah. Yeah. I know. I I mean, I really, I could geek out about branding until the cows come home and, um, and we already know, especially women. Um, and I'm imagining most of your customer, demographic is female, but we are visually driven, right? And they, they make the joke that women pick their wine bottle by how cute the wine bottle is, but it's not really a joke when you look at the amount of money we're spending, <laughs> right? So yeah. So thinking that through is, is so smart. I think the other thing I really admire about what y'all have been building and doing is the community component, right? We know community building is so important for a brand in this day and age. Um, So talk to me a little bit about what your strategy was there and where you think you've really excelled. Absolutely. So the majority of our demographic is female, although it's worth noting all of our investors are the initial interest came from a man. Um, (laughs) It's actually five different couples. So it's women as well. Um, But what happens, you know, the female may bring this home, at least like with a lot of my friends, the experience has been, they bring it home. And then the husband or brother or whomever tries it and they're like, whoa, this is really good. Um, And, you know, that's just been I guess, a reflection of 
our community, right? Mm-hmm. Like people are, I have people I know that are like, Tipsy is always in my fridge. I always have it available in my fridge. You know, there's, we, I, I can speak for myself. Like there's key items that I always have in my pantry and in my fridge. Like those are like my classics, my favorites. And that's what we're trying to develop. Like we want that like solid fan base that we know we can rely on for recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a majority of our sales if we look at our data, obviously we're always focused on capturing new retailers, new clientele, but we want to look at the retailers that are really performing and are, you know, feel like a connection with our brand and really make sure that we're like massaging those relationships and understanding like how to work best with them and within their community as well. Yeah. So... And I really think we reach across all ages. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't want to be pigeonholed into like one age group. Having healthy choices is for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Of all demographics, obviously with alcohol, 21 and up, please. (laughs) But, you know, we want to reach and, and that's really like goes into like where our price point is. That was another mistake made early on also because our runs were so small. So we had to charge a certain amount, like even break even. Yeah. But 96% of wine bottles sold in this country are below $15 a bottle. Wow. And, you know, we want to appeal to the average consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll never forget Harris Teeter is one of our big retailers. They're owned by Kroger. And one of the employees, um, one of the cashiers that I know just from like being in that store and, you know, working with them, when we got our price below $15 for a four pack, mm-hmm. um, and a four pack equals over a bottle of wine as far as alcohol content, she walked up to me so excited and she was like, I feel like I can afford this now on the regular with like out mm-hmm. feeling guilty about it. And that like everyone should have access to a premium product that they really love and still feels like a treat. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, Anything else you feel like you've done really well, like from a marketing perspective, like what was your, do you feel like, do you feel like Instagram is how you've opened some doors? Do you feel like your sales background is how you were able to get, for example, in Harris Teeter? Um, You know, what was, what was some of those things that kind of feel like you really like, dang, we did that right. And then we'll talk about the things that we feel like we could have done better. Absolutely. I'm happy to talk about both because (laughs) I think transparency is really important. So um, the things we've done right, we did in the very beginning, like did all of our own tastings. Like most of the accounts have met me um, personally, uh, most of the sales teams with our distributors, they know me. If they don't know me, they got my cell phone number. I make myself very accessible. And some of that comes from the corporate background. Like when I was in medical device sales, like, you know, if you're not answering the phone or answering those emails, your competitor will. And somebody is always there to take your spot and take your business. Right. So I'm of the mindset, like, I want to be available as a resource. And 
you know, I carried a bag for 10 years. So I understand going out there, pounding the pavement. Like we really rely heavily on our distribution channels. Without them, we can't do it. I mean, alcohol is a three-tier system. Um, that is not changing, uh, you know, direct to consumer, there is a play there, but most people, the majority are buying their alcohol in person. Um, so that's one thing we've been really great at. Um, and we're at this point where we're with the right distribution partners. And that was certainly a journey to get there, um, and learn how to work best with them. Instagram is definitely attributed to our success, but it is not as important as it was like with my salon or with like a very, um, heavily focused direct to consumer brand. Like we had our best sales month, um, last year when engagement was really low. So I don't see a direct correlation. I do think it's an important component because that's how you're communicating yeah. um with distributor teams, customers, right, etc. But yeah, it's not something that we focus on deeply like every single day. Sure. Yeah. It's more along the lines of like if someone sees this on the storefront and they want to know more and they look you up on Instagram, we want that to reflect exactly the vibe, the energy, the aesthetics, the you know, tell that story. Totally. Right? It's gotta be cohesive. And we have done a good job of that. My marketing director still runs our Instagram. We do a lot in-house. Like yeah. we don't have the budgets to outsource everything. Yeah. We're trying to get to profitability um as quickly as possible. Yeah. Hold that thought. Let's continue after a quick word from our sponsor. Do you think you paid too much in taxes last year? If so, listen up because I have an app that's going to help you pay your taxes with more ease and show you what's a write-off. It's called Ruby Money and it's so simple anyone can use it. All you do is link your bank account and now every time you get paid, Ruby Money will calculate how much you owe in taxes based on your state and if you click yes, it automatically sets it aside for you like a little chipmunk. The app also automatically tracks all of your expenses so you don't miss any write-offs come tax time. And here's the best part. Because it has all of your data, it calculates your quarterly taxes for you and you can pay your taxes right there in the app. Talk about a stress reducer founded by women for solopreneurs just like you and me. Give it a try today. Click the link down below in the show notes and use my code Tiffany for 50% off your first month. Let Ruby Money rule your green money-making machine world. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're still here with us. It's your coach and host, Tiffany. Let's continue. Okay, so let's talk about all the hats that you wear as a founder of a beverage startup, if you will. And then how do you how do you, or how have you learned maybe even to prioritize and manage all of those hats? Um, it has been really hard. When I started my prior business, I was able, because when you have a brick and mortar, especially service-based, once you've made, you know, the initial investment, you're just trying to hit that ROI mm-hmm. and it's a bit more straightforward. Mm -hmm. Um, Beverage and CPG is completely different. You 
have a huge capital investment up front. These are big order runs. Mm-hmm. And then you're trying to figure out how do I sell through all this inventory? And then how do I manage compliance, regulatory, tastings, events? Like there's only up until last June, it was just me. And then some 1099 help from some wonderful people, some of which at some points, I think they were just like, we feel bad for you. So we're going to come help you. (laughs) And I've been lucky to have like really good loyal contractors that like, they care about me. They care about the brand. They feel, you know, an allegiance to the brand. And that's really important. Um, I also in turn make them feel valued and, uh, you know, it's gotta be a symbiotic relationship, but I mean, wearing all the hats, like up until June, I was still working six days a week. It was exceptionally difficult. Um, I think I mentioned to you, my husband and I flip houses. Mm -hmm. So we move every two to two and a half years, um, I'm doing a lot of the project management for that. So it's a yeah. lot to balance. It's lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Let's do first your biggest win and then let's talk about some of the lessons. But if you had to reflect from 2020, I guess, till now, what do you think is your biggest win with Tipsy so far? So our biggest win was getting planogrammed for Whole Foods nationally. Um, a phased rollout. It was something we did not expect. I got like a mass email communication. And I was like, we're probably not on this list. This has to be a mistake. And then, you know, I deciphered all the information, digested it, talked to our brand manager at RNDC. And she was like, holy shit. Like, (laughs) she's like, I can't believe this. Like, this does not happen. And obviously that was an amazing win. Um, We're still trying to figure out how to execute that. Right now, we're only with Whole Foods in North Carolina, Georgia, and South Carolina, not because of Whole Foods, but because we've got to find distribution in the other markets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being with a distributor, like once you sign those agreements in many states, it's a franchise agreement and you're locked in in. and you've got to make sure it's like a marriage, like... (laughs) Yeah. You got to date first, like have some conversations, not yeah. just like yeah. go into it because it seems like it's a good fit on paper. Right. And that's like really our biggest challenge right now. And distribution um, has changed a lot. You know, it used to be more friendly to the small players mm-hmm. um, really since COVID. It is hard for smaller and emerging brands to get on with big distributors. And you have to be with a big distributor if you're doing a national rollout. Yeah. I I had a friend who had a brewery um, back in New Orleans, Louisiana. And I remember he he was, I I don't remember the exact details, but what I do remember is learning through that, that, that friendship that I was like, wow, it's so much more complicated than I thought. And I remember him talking a lot about 
shelf space and shelf location and getting at eye level and, you know, moving up the, the, from the ground up. And yes. I was like, no, I've never thought about it. But now when I go into the grocery store and I see the smaller brands at the top and at the bottom, and then the yes. names we know and recognize like the Kellogg's of cereal boxes or whatever, yeah. right. It's like right there at eye level. So I can only imagine how hard it is. I know it's not easy. It's not. And there are ways around it. I mean, having really awesome displays. So we've gone through four iterations now of displays and we finally got it right. Like when we launched, our displays were too big. They were too heavy. The retailers couldn't move them around to like mop and sweep. Now they take up literally like one square foot. They don't go past like average eye high, uh, mm-hmm. eye level. Um, there's a lot of science that goes into all of it. And, yeah. you know, every little thing matters um, when it comes yeah. to how your item is displayed and where it is in the store. I would say at least a few times a week, we get DMs or emails like, are y'all not carried at this, you know, it's on your store finder, but I couldn't find it. And it's because it got moved or the inventory's up high and they haven't filled in from back stock. So yeah, you know, the merchandising piece is also a challenge. Yeah. A whole it's high touch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You can't just be like, Oh, I got a distributor. My job is done. It's like, yeah. No, it's more complicated than that. That's when you're just getting the work started. Right, right. So talk to me about what you what you would say were maybe like two or three of your biggest lessons you've learned on this journey. Sure. So one thing I wish we had done from the very beginning is connect with, and we learned this very quickly, and it's easy to pivot when you're a small brand and a small team is to look at who the co-packers and distributors are using because who manufactures your product and who distributes your product determines your success. Mm. You can be the hardest working, best salesperson, most connected person, famous person in the world. If you have bad product that spoils or, you know, has some type of defect, people aren't going to rebuy it. They're not going to give second chances. And if you have a bad distributor that's not getting your product in the right retailers, that's problematic. So one thing we learned very quickly was vet the co-packers, vet the distributors, Mm -hmm. ask for referrals. If they won't give them to you, that's not a good sign. (laughs) <laughs> Go find the references yourself because maybe it is a timing issue or, you know, a non-disclosure. But what I what I do, I look at who they're following on social media, who's following them. Mm-hmm. I want unbiased references. And I'm always respectful of people's time. If I'm talking to another brand owner, um, I always say, like, can I just have 15 minutes, please? Yeah. Here's what I would like to ask you. I will keep everything in confidence. Boom, 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 boom. Because I get a lot of emails that are like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a beverage business and they don't even have the name or like no alcohol base. And like, there's nothing more 
annoying to me than ambiguity, like, and not being respectful of people's time. So yes. I know that. Do your due diligence then is what I'm hearing. Like, yes. Do your due diligence. And that, that crosses over into every single market. Like, obviously I'm a business coach. I hear from a lot of people who have had bad experiences with a business coach. And I always say to people, you can find all of my clients. If you go through my Instagram account, yes. you go onto my website, like you can find a list of all my clients, message them, like leave me out of it. Like go straight I to the source. That. Yeah. Um, because that's where you're going to really, you know, hear what you need to hear or, you know, either way, what you're going to hear what you need to hear, but yeah, do your due diligence. I think it's so easy in this day and age for us to just think we can just Google it. We can just find it on the internet. Totally. And that's just not true. It's it, the human connection matters and it matters yeah. arguably even more because there's a lot of fluff out yeah. there yeah. and, you know, yeah. across all industries and all, yeah. you know, channels yeah. and media and, you know, you've got to like cut through the BS and mm -hmm. figure out like yeah. how to make yeah. your business work and- yeah. It's not always easy. I mean, we've co-packed in Las Vegas. We've co-packed in New York. We've co-packed in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. I found also that it's so important and critical. Another lesson is to be present and be there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm at every order run. Mm -hmm. The one wow. run that I was not at was <laughs> a disaster. And, yeah. you know, people are going to be on their best behavior when you're present. And so unfortunately, true. that's just human nature. It's not how I operate. I mean, but, you know, it, there's a lot more accountability when you're present and you're observing what's happening. Yeah. No one is going to care about your product more than you, period, the end. Yep. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I remember, so I used to have a handbag line. I don't know if you know that about me, but I had I handbag lines for five years and my manufacturer was in New Jersey. And I'll never forget, I was always there. I was always present. And if I wasn't present, they would send me videos and photos right from the you know assembly line. Like sure. here's our first one. Does it look good? Okay, yeah, keep going. And there was one particular run and we were in the height of our busy season because I, I put most of my revenue was made off of creating NFL regulated, NFL approved handbags. So I was the first on the market with NFL. Oh my gosh, that's so, what was the name of this company? Flying Fox. Okay. I love it. And, um, and so anyway, the first, it was like the height of the season. It was like thousands of bags, just turning them out, you know, just needing to get them in our hands to restock all of our stockists. And I was out of town and the head of the manufacturing facility, um, my lead designer was also going to be out of town. And he was like, no worries, because the second girl in command, who I loved and adored, you know, was going to be in control. And I was like, okay, no problem. And it was the only run of handbags I ever had that were flawed. And we started getting emails of a strap breaking in this one particular spot over and over again at this one particular like closure, leather strap breaking, breaking, breaking. And I was like, oh my gosh. That was the most stressful time of my life. We lost so much money and just so much time, like yeah. being customer service centric and be like, don't worry, we're going to send you a new one. We're going to send you a new one. We're going to send you a new one. And I remember looking back and being like the one time. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy how, you know, people think that manufacturing is so automated and, you know, 
so controlled and it's not like still a human. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, we need the human element. We need the human touch. Like we can't have everything be controlled by AI and robots and machines. But, you know, with that being said, there's also room for human error. Mm -hmm. And honestly, sometimes not just error, because a lot of error is just an honest mistake, but there's also gross negligence. And I'm very thankful that we have several attorneys that are investors and Mm -hmm. we've got a chief administrative officer now um, who was our first seed investor. And we still have outside counsel that represents us when necessary, but it's definitely brought a different level of sophistication to how we look at contracts, how we negotiate contracts, how we deal with our vendors. And, you know, unfortunately that's just a part of doing business. Yeah. If it was cookie cutter easy and everyone knew exactly how to do it, we say this all the time, everyone would just have these like ridiculously successful businesses, but yep. It's not that yeah, simple. If it were easy, everyone would do it. <laughs> do it. I think everyone wants an alcohol brand. At least every yes. celebrity does. Everyone, yeah. Oh my God, yes. Uh, and in, in Nashville, they all want a bar, and they're all getting one on Broadway. Yes, uh, I've been in been in those bars many a times. Yeah. So, what would you say, since you and I both have had the corporate experience and the entrepreneurial experience, and you've had it in multiple facets, like me? What do you think is your or, you know, what is your, what do you love most about being an entrepreneur? I mean, I do love the freedom and knowing that much of my success rides on my input, you know, and of course there's chances that, you know, it's not going to work out or we may not hit our targets when we want to, but I'm a big believer in, you know, not having a scarcity mindset, but a mindset of abundance, because Mm -hmm. when you have that mindset, it's a lot easier to start your day and focus on the positives and uh, like have the mindset of here's what we're doing right. Mm -hmm. Here's like all of our wins. We have a weekly drill down internally. We have a monthly drill down. We've got a fractional COO now, which has been an absolute game changer. He is amazing. Um, And that's what we really focus on. And that's what I love. Mm -hmm. Um, Do I miss like the stability of my corporate career sometimes? Absolutely. I mean, I cleaned out a lot of my 401k funding this business and Mm -hmm. You know, that was a buildup of 10 years of really hard work. So, you know, when people say like, oh, you're so lucky or, you know, you're crushing it, which it's meant to be a compliment, but sometimes I like cringe internally because I'm like, this is not luck. Right. At all. This is manufactured success. Uh And, you know, just because you're seeing us on the shelves everywhere, they're not seeing, you know, what's going on behind the scenes, like the struggle it takes for a business that's this capital intensive. It takes quite some time to get profitable. 
And I truthfully, I still do not pay myself. And that is a choice. Um, It's a fiscally responsible choice. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, I can, you know, I'm in a financial situation where I can afford to do that because my significant other (laughs) is carrying a lot of that burden. And, you know, it's... um, it's and it's also a big reason why my investors believe in and invested in the company. They saw the data, they see the opportunity, and they see how much I put in myself. Right. And yeah. my they husband and I are both self-made. This is not, yeah. you know, money no. that's been handed to us to go start a company. Right. Um, I don't discount anyone that does that. I think that's great. But, you know, I am all in. I have not taken on outside investment and just started this brand. This was a lot of financial risk and a lot of sleepless nights. Yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of people aren't prepared for that. I thought I was. And then really getting in like milk bar I hit my ROI in 14 months. I was paying myself within 14 months and paying employees really well and an incredible manager. This is just a different ball game. I mean, when you're competing with Gallo, Constellation, AB InBev, which is Anheuser, I mean, it's no joke. So Mm -hmm. you've got to like really be ready to roll up your sleeves and have a lot of grit do the work and have a lot of grit. I was going to say, what do you think is like the thing that helps you the most as far as like a personal, a personal attribution, if you will, like. Um, I would say, I mean, just perseverance. Like mm-hmm. there are days, I mean, going back to manufacturing, we had an order run last year where we moved to a new vendor. I won't say for which part of the product, but mm-hmm new vendor, they open up the truck and stuff is spilled everywhere. And with these order runs, your co-packer doesn't cover that. Your freight company does not. Mm -hmm. If, If every piece does not fall into place, if your cans are not there, your juice is not good, your wine is not arriving on time, then you're, you're going to have major losses on that order run. And a lot of people, I think, would like throw in the towel and be like, okay, I'm done. I've had enough. But, you know, every good entrepreneur knows that it won't, it's not a first and it's not a last either. Mm -hmm. This happens to big brands as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It hurts a little more as a small (laughs) brand, obviously. It hurts the pockets, but You've just got to be okay with pushing through and knowing that like that is not going to break you. And you've also, it's not just the perseverance, but being really financially prepared. Like Mm -hmm. I think a lot of entrepreneurs get in the position where, you know, all of a sudden they're like bankrupt or they're like, having to sell a house or Mm -hmm. sell all of their possessions. Like I think it's so important to be really realistic and financially savvy 
Yes. With your, with your brand, with your company. And that's why I always caution people when they say like, Oh, I want to go start this. I'm, I'm not discouraging anyone from pursuing their dreams, but you have to be so calculated Mm -hmm. and so prepared because everything that you think could go wrong, um, like three X. And yeah, I mean, I can't echo that enough. If you're listening, like know, know your numbers and don't just know them, but get really comfortable with your numbers. It breaks my heart when I see these like really successful businesses. And we've seen a lot of it in the last year. I think we're coming off of like the COVID, uh, you know, um, what is the word I'm looking for when you like just riding the wave into the shore, right? We're, co- we're coming off of like where people's money, I guess, was drying up. And I see these really big brands who had like wait lists for their products and look, you know, really look like they were moving and shaking. And then all of a sudden like that, they're like, we have to close our doors immediately. And I'm like, how did you get to the point where you didn't know that your buffer was running out and run a big yeah. flash sale or do, you know, do what you cut, cut some people like off your team as hard as that is. But like totally. when you're in charge of the business, you've got to have an eye on those numbers at any given time. Right. And the- I know evaluations going from a hundred million to like 8 million. Wow. That's wow. a big debt. It's a big tip. We do not like that number. <laughs> no, uh, nobody wants to hear that. But I think that's, you see that happening when people are really comfortable spending other people's money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I am like truly a, we started out self-funded mm-hmm. uh, and it was that way up until last year yeah. um, because of certain circumstances and dynamics we couldn't do a raise until last year. And I'm actually really glad it worked out that way because it forced me to understand literally every aspect of my business. Yeah. I can do an order run from start to finish mm-hmm. down to the gram of what I need to order. I can do a PL. I can run my balance sheets. I don't prefer to. I don't like that part <laughs> of the business. Social media, I can handle. I can handle... You've got to be able to, yeah, I'm not saying you have to be an expert in every arena, but like if you don't intimately understand your business, those are also the people that get taken advantage of because they bring in external resources. Mm -hmm. Not that that has not happened to us. Like we've certainly had, but I'm able to like see it and pinpoint it very quickly and, and have a level of accountability. Yeah. Um, So I'm glad that you know, while the path has been hard, um, I really understand so much about my business. And I think there's a lot of people that don't, and that's when the business gets away from them, you know? Yeah. So to piggyback on that, because I think it's a nice dichotomy to talk about with you before we, before we wrap up, like, so we're saying, yes, know your numbers, know your business inside and out have perseverance and grit and all of these things. But also, obviously, you've chatted already about like believing in manifestation and positive mindsets. And so how do you think, because, and you're also in a very male-dominated industry. For sure. Right, by and large. So how do you think your feminine, your feminine energy and beliefs and what you bring to the table intuitively has served you with the growth of Tipsy? Well, I'm a work in progress on my feminine energy. <laughs> 
I don't know if you follow Jenna Cavello, but she started a brand called Agent Nature. It's yeah. one of the most successful skincare lines. Like she's a badass. She's someone I admire. And I've heard her talk a lot, a lot about that and really leaning into that feminine energy. And I'm like, I need to like feverishly be taking notes on all of this. Like I have such an alpha personality. Um, I played sports. I'm highly competitive. Mm -hmm. I like winning and, and not at the expense of others. I'm very, very much also like a rising tide lifts all boats. I'm close friends with other wine-based brands and spirit RTDs. But at the end of the day, I mean, I do want to win. And sometimes I think, you know, like you said, this is a male dominated industry, which I'm a, I'm used to. I mean, when I was in medical device sales, yeah, one company, I was the first female sales rep uh, on like the Eastern half of the U S. So it's, it's something I feel comfortable with, Yeah, but I do think like I'm very direct. I'm very assertive. Um, which is not like a lot of Southern women and I'm from the South if you can't tell from my accent. And I think it throws some men off. Like they're expecting like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This sweet little Southern girl and I can be pretty fiery. And, you know, I, I have had to learn also how to reel that in. Like I'll like draft an email reply and then I'm like, let me soften that on this for like cool off, reread it and make sure that my tone is not being misperceived. And, you know, it's a balance. Like yeah. I definitely think I've leaned into that more since having children though. And mm-hmm. I have two little girls and they're like as girly girls it gets. Yeah. Unicorns, rainbows, all yeah. the things. All the things. <laughs> so Love it. I love it. Okay. Well, tell us what's next for Tipsy. What is your next on your horizon? What do we have? What should we be kind of keeping our eye out for? Sure. So when the past couple years, we've really just been hyper-focused on South Carolina and Mm -hmm. mastering our accounts, our relationships close to home. Mm -hmm. Open Tennessee, they've been a great state for us. Obviously, Nashville um, and I think we maybe met through Sydney, by the way. Who's I think so too. I think I was thinking um, about because I was trying to remember that as well. And so, what's on the horizon? We just signed a partnership deal with Empire um, to distribute in North Carolina and Georgia. They are a Berkshire Hathaway company. That was a very strategic move for us. They're going to be incredible partners. Um, I'm a big Warren Buffett fan. So mm-hmm. that, you know, was very, um, like, very exciting for me as a brand owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're launching Colorado. I'm actually going to be out there all next week. Exciting. We got for Natural Grocers, which is like a Whole Foods, but even a little more crunchy. Like, you don't even have to read labels there because... <laughs> They, yeah. The amount of paperwork I had to submit just to be considered for them was exhausting, but also quite impressive. So yeah. okay. that we've got that in play. And then, 
you know, we'd love to be in Target. We're having very early conversations there. Um, I shouldn't say early. We've been talking to them for quite some time, but our packaging and brand screams Target. Yeah. Working on Fresh Market. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got some other retailers in play and states that we're looking to open up. We're going to make one flavor enhancement um, later this spring. So I can't announce it yet, but I can tell you it's going to be the most exciting one yet. Okay. Because it is a drink that is extremely popular in Europe. It's something that's just synonymous with- I already have ideas. Okay. (laughs) And it's something that's missing in the canned RTD space right now. There's- really nobody doing it. So that's exciting. Um, We're also looking at non-alcohol. We get asked so much, like I've got a lot of friends who are sober or sober Mm -hmm. curious, which as much as I joked about dry January, like (laughs) I respect that. I think it's absolutely, if that's a decision someone's made, great for them. And we need to be, you know, considering that space that's growing. Mm Yeah, it really like more than analysts even expected it to. Yeah. So. Oh, that's exciting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we're all going to go follow Tipsy. Um, tell yes. us where we can find you and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Awesome. So I would just encourage your um, listeners to go to our website, drinktipsy.com. Our store locator, it is accurate. Like there may be a level of like, give or take like a few stores that are not accurately reflected on there. We try to update it every few weeks. Um, I always encourage people, if you can't find it in the store, ask. Yes. Because stuff does get moved around. I think retailers do that on purpose to keep you in there longer. On your toes. Um, yeah. <laughs> keep looking around, see what else she puts in the back. Yeah. And then you're like leaving, you know, Target, for example, you go in for like, you know, a bottle of wine and some espresso and I'm all of a sudden I've got pillows and like Flippers. a chair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, and I encourage people reach out. I'm very accessible. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can just search for me on Instagram, find me there under my design handle, which is Atlantico Design Co. Probably mm-hmm. need to change that to my name. Well, thank you, Katie. It was such a fun. Here, cheers. 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 Got a little sure out. Always. And if I ever walk past it in the shelf, I'll do the little positioning for you. Um, oh, but such a fun you. combo. And, and it's just fun to have this, such a diverse, um, you know, type of, of person on the podcast, like service-based entrepreneur, product-based entrepreneur. And in the beverage world, it's just such a unique, unique thing. So thank you for being so open and sharing so much with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tiffany, and have a great evening. You too. I'll Enjoy the you. rest of your tipsy. <laughs> Thank you. I will. I'm going to Galentine, so I'll just take it with me. All right. I'll see you soon.